Good morning, Giacomo. Hi, Tony. How are you? Great, thank you. It's good to talk to you again. Well, thanks for having me again. Today, I'm speaking with Giacomo Silari, and you may remember him from episode six. We spoke back on March 14th. I wanted to check back in with Giacomo because as a lot of us are going to be coming out of quarantine in the near future, and we have a lot of questions about how to handle that, I felt like Giacomo was the man to talk to. Hey, Giacomo. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much. So, Giacomo, we last spoke on March 14th. Back then, you explained the normalcy bias, and we talked about why people think things won't happen to them in the face of danger, and they often make poor decisions. Now we find ourselves five weeks later with a new issue at hand. Many places that have gone into quarantine are going to soon reopen. How do we prepare ourselves for such an unpredictable outcome? We have a lot of things to cover today. So I think we're going to start off maybe talking about social norms and how important they are. All right. We are approaching uh, what in Italy is called phase two, right? Uh, the end of the lockdown and uh, the gradual uh, resuming of uh, business activities and uh, and social activities, right? So it's important that this uh, transition uh, works uh, best. The problem is we don't really know, you know, what, uh, what best uh, uh, means uh, in the sense that it's uh, very unpredictable what, uh, what, is, uh, what is around us. Uh, nobody has really figured uh, uh, things out uh, in, in their entirety. This is true for politicians, this is true for scientists, uh, and of course for lay people like, uh, like you and I. I mean, if you look at uh, epidemiology, epidemiology is a very difficult uh, field. They use uh, complex statistical methods, uh, but the data that uh, uh, they uh, use uh, uh, are usually quite noisy. It's uh, very complicated analysis of uh, noisy and uh, uh, difficult data. And so studies that uh, might take months or years uh, to be completed now are just uh, uh, yanked out in, in, in a matter of uh, months or even, even weeks, right? So there is a lot of uh, uh, uncertainty there. The, the key response here is uh, to stay, you know, humble. Uh, epistemic humility is uh, is uh, is a keyword here. Uh, if um, uh, we keep our confidence uh, level uh, down, we are more likely uh, to think uh, uh, clearly, more clearly about uh, about what uh, what is going on. And that is true for you know again politicians, experts, uh, uh, or uh, ourselves. There is a lot that we don't uh, that we don't know, and so with that in mind, uh, what is it that we do know, or what is it that we might uh, think it's very likely that uh, uh, will work in phase uh, uh, in phase two? I think what you're saying is we need to stay humble in the sense that we shouldn't we shouldn't get too too comfortable with the fact because the curve is going down. A lot of people think that means that we can just go out and, and start partying again. But the reason the curve is down is because we've been home. If we go out and, and start doing things as we were before COVID-19 began, if we go out there too soon without a plan, the word is going to start over again. And a lot of people are worried about the economy. But if if we continue to 
spread the virus, the economy is just going to be worse down the road if we hurry out of quarantine now. Yeah, that is uh, absolutely true. So we have to take things easy. But uh, at some point, uh, uh, it's unclear whether it's going to be, you know, at some point next month or maybe later. But at some point, the lockdown will have to be uh, lifted. Uh, what happens uh, then? Keeping in mind what I just said, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of models and there's a lot of uncertainty, but most models seem to agree on the fact that uh, eradication of this uh, virus is not uh, on the table. So it's going to be with us after the lockdown is uh, is uh, lifted. So what, uh, what can we do is contact tracing, right? Making sure that uh, uh, people are reducing the probability of getting sick, uh, but also making sure that uh, if people get sick, we can easily or as easily as possible uh, trace uh, who they've been in contact with and who therefore might be sick so that uh, we can maybe stop uh, a uh, new source of infection. Because after all, this was a whole point of the lockdown, not to overwhelm our uh, health system, on the one hand, but also reduce the spread of the virus so that uh, since eradication is not on the table, we can control new sources of uh, uh, infection more uh, easily. Now, will contact tracing work? That's another uh, big uh, uncertainty. So there are reasons to believe that it, it will uh, work. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, the lockdown did bring down uh, the, the famous uh, R0 parameter, the number of people that uh, on average uh, every infected person gets infected. So maybe. Of course, there are also reasons to believe that uh, it won't work. This virus is very aggressive, spreads very quickly, and is uh, asymptomatic for a long time. And so it's hard to do contact tracing. Will it work? Uh, will it not work? We don't know. But uh, uh, for sure, this is the weapon that we have right now. And so we have to use it uh, as best as we possibly can. Right. So how do we do that? What do you think about, you know, a lot of people, uh, I don't hear so much Polemica. How do you say polemica in English? Mm. Is there a word in English that adds up to polemica? I love deep, that word. Debate, heated debate. A lot of debate about this, you know, tracing and the app and things like that because of, you know, just civil liberties and privacy. And I think it seems like a lot of people are afraid there's going to be some kind of stigma attached to having the virus as if they've done something wrong. Because why else would you... Or maybe they just think that it's going to be an excuse for the government to then be able to trace everything else they're doing. I mean, we already have drones here. A lot of people are, it's hard because we need to protect privacy um, and we don't want to let the government into some kind of just wormhole because of this. But at the same time, there has to be a time and a place where we can accept these circumstances because in the long run, it's better for society. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, the first thought is that uh, contact tracing apps uh, uh, can be made fairly safe on the uh, privacy issue. So you can have contact tracing and uh, to a large extent uh, uh, safeguard uh, uh, the, and the privacy of, uh, um, of the people who have the app installed uh, on, uh, on their phone. But of course, uh, 
There are uh, lots of uh, issues uh, about surveillance, uh, the, the the drones that you that you mentioned. Uh, so it is uh, it is contentious. I I see that. But the second thing is that luckily, uh, what uh, make contact tracing work? It's something that uh, work against uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, even in the absence of contact tracing. Right, social distancing is uh, uh, key, and uh, of course that uh, helps contact tracing because it limits uh, uh, the likelihood of uh, getting infected, and so you have less contacts uh, to trace. And so that works uh, in presence or in absence of contact tracing. So whatever your position is, social distancing uh, is uh, a given, is uh, like a, a a bedrock on which then we can build more sophisticated uh, measures, and that's why. I think for phase two is a, a key to concentrate on what uh, we know works for sure and contact tracing may be working or not, but uh, washing hands, no touching of a uh, face and uh, social distancing are uh, definitely things that uh, will reduce uh, the spread of the virus. And so we should concentrate on this. Now, what's interesting or unfortunate, depending on the, on the point of view, is that actually most uh, of the spaces in which we live our social lives uh, are actually designed uh, with the exact opposite end in mind than social distancing, right? So think uh, of the supermarket. How is a supermarket design? Well, you want to have people check out uh, as quickly as possible because that's a boring part of uh, going grocery shopping. And to check out people efficiently, you want to have a lot of people close together at the checkout counter. So that's uh, that's a big no. And uh, we have to rethink that. On the other hand, you want people to linger as much as possible in the aisle of the supermarket. right? And that's another big no. And we have to rethink uh, that. Uh, people will congregate uh, where there are more essential items like bread, like uh, pharmacy items. How do we cope with that? Maybe we need to have more displays of these essential items so that less people will uh, congregate at each one of them. These are all structural uh, things that we have to think about in order to make social distancing easier or even possible in some cases. More things are like offering uh, uh, Purell or other uh, sanitizing uh, devices like that and making them very uh, salient. Uh, it's uh, it's not enough to have a bottle of Purell in a corner. You have to put uh, uh, yellow tape all around it and signs and uh, reminders, reminders, reminders uh, that... Uh, uh, you should disinfect and that you should uh, social distance because all these uh, not uh, distancing behaviors are very ingrained in us. And so they're very automatic and therefore they're very difficult to, to give up for us. And uh, being reminded that we should, it's uh, paramount for, for this to work. It's a bit like uh, uh, masks. There's a big debate, masks uh, uh, work, don't work. Uh, uh, well, one thing that masks do for sure is prevent you from touching your mouth and nose. So at least to that extent, uh, masks uh, work, uh, work wonders. More structural uh, changes increase the delivery capacity of supermarkets. 
and think about uh, how in this uh, uh, slow down economy, cab drivers uh, uh, definitely have less work than they did before. So, you know, they drive, they could, uh, instead of delivering people, you know, they, they could deliver goods. You know, so there's a, a lot of uh, a structural thing that we can uh, uh, that we can do in order to ease uh, social distancing. I don't know if you saw, but I started crying. <laughs> 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 I, got, <laughs> I got nostalgic about the fucking grocery store. <laughs> All right, I haven't been a... to one since the first week of March. I go every week. Yeah, how is it's it now? Such a pain in the ass. No, it's so it's yeah. very nice because uh, there's no one inside. There's no line, so that's that's very nice. But uh, but it sucks in so many other ways. Also, having to shop for <laughs> yeah. you know, a week and yeah, alone. Right, I have to think it out. So, will you tell me a little bit about how, how it is in the grocery store? Going grocery shopping now. Uh, there is someone. Uh, at the entrance uh, that uh, counts uh, how many people are in. And so if there are too many people in, you have to wait in line. The lines are uh, easy and people keep their distance from one another. There's Purell at the uh, at the entrance of the supermarket when you get in. There are no lines. So that's very nice. I mean, no lines inside the supermarket. There are no many people. And yeah. uh, so you don't have to wait 30 minutes uh, to get prosciutto. You can just uh, get your number and then you're automatically oh, next in line. That's amazing. Awesome. That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. But also, because mm-hmm. for me, it's not about waiting in line at the register. The thing that drives me batty when mm-hmm. I go to the grocery store in Italy, and I'm sure it's not perfect in America, but I don't go grocery shopping very often in America because I live over here. What drives me nuts is the people on their cell phones just standing in the way, you know, or the people that leave their cart right in front of the whatever it is exactly where you're going to look for something. They just leave their cart and they disappear. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, or like yeah, the couple yeah. that goes and they're like in the middle of an argument and you're like, yeah. dude, I'm just trying to get some more. <laughs> that <laughs> That's what no. drives me nuts. But right now I'm crying because I actually miss it. Yeah. Uh grocery utopia right now because <laughs> if you didn't have to if you didn't have to wait in line. Yeah. What I think they should do is they should do like by alphabet just throw on the Yeah, alphabet, I don't know if right? that's practical. I think uh, however one thing that is uh, sensible to think about is uh, uh having hours uh, for older people you know, because those are the, yeah. the difficult uh, and, and uh, delicate cases. And so making sure that uh, they can even more uh, than uh, younger people isolate from others, uh, I think that that would be very uh, important. But uh, yes, it's a, it's, a different, uh, it's a different experience. But there's one thing you said that uh, uh, made me think, people on their cell phones, like texting and, uh, and walking, this is uh, a kind of behavior that uh, we should uh, uh, try really hard to eliminate, you know, because those are people who don't pay attention to social distance. Those are the people who are you know, more likely to bump into one another or into you. And so, uh, again, social distancing has lots of ramifications in the structure of our economic uh, relations, but also in the structure of our social uh, relations. And so social norms uh, are really, really important. Uh, and many of those are not just uh, norms of distancing, but also norms of you, you don't text and walk. Oh, sorry. No, because also the, the germ factor. I mean, our phones are filthy. 
Mm-hmm. So what's the point of wearing those plastic gloves? Like if you're in the, I mean, are, I would, I'll ask you that question. You've been in the grocery stores here in Italy yeah. where we are. I mean, everyone's addicted to their cell phone. Are people still, are they still like <laughs> messing with their phone and writing messages and scrolling on their smartphone as they're grocery shopping with their plastic gloves on or latex gloves? Well- Guilty as charged. I, I I bring my grocery list on, on my on my cell phone. So yes, I do. Uh, I, I do. I speak polo in, uh, in my uh, on my phones. Uh, but uh, I think what's uh, what's important uh, is then to have a good routine about what happens when you come home, right? Because uh, uh, as long as you don't touch your face uh, while you're out and you should be okay as long as you haven't interacted uh, too closely and for too long uh, with uh, other possibly infected people. But then all that matters is that when you go home, you have a precise routine about uh, how to undress, where to undress, what to do to your phone, uh, to your keys, and uh, uh, to your body. Take a shower right away. Again, we have to change uh, our uh, behaviors and uh, our uh, habits uh, uh, in order to effectively uh, social distance ourselves uh, and uh, you know treat ourselves uh, in the in the best possible way to uh, avoid this infection before i started crying um <laughs> or when i first started crying i had interrupted to ask her to to point out your idea about the taxis i think it's a great idea though for for them to be delivering groceries. It would be friggin' expensive if you go by the regular taxi prices of Florence, but it's a great idea. (laughs) It's probably, however, impossible, right? Because of red tape, because of regulations, which uh, also brings up the topic of how to make these behavioral changes uh, easier, you know, Uh, reduce uh, regulation and uh, increase... uh, uh, people's uh, liberty, for instance, uh, to do delivery services in, instead of uh, taxi services. This is something that uh, I don't know if uh, cab drivers in Italy, I'm sure in the US they could, but uh, I'm not sure if uh, cab drivers in Italy could legally uh, do that. But uh, for sure, there's a lot of waste uh, right now. Next to these uh, structural changes, uh, we have also to uh, make substantial changes in our behavior and in behaviors that are uh, the hallmark of uh, social norm-based behaviors, uh, i.e. interdependent behaviors, uh, behaviors that uh, rely really on the interaction among among people. And so when we talk about social norms, uh, we we need to develop norms about uh, uh, yes, washing hands, uh, touching nose, and uh, uh, and social distancing. Uh, what does it mean uh, that there is a norm about uh, uh, these aspects uh, or social distances that uh, I shouldn't uh, uh, get too close to to people? Right. Well, that means two things, uh, according, for instance, to Cristina Bicchieri, who's uh, a uh, professor at uh, University of Pennsylvania who developed a very influential theory of social norms. Uh, one aspect of social norms is what she called uh, the empirical aspect. So the fact that I look around and I see people social distancing. And so I have expectations about uh, uh, what people do and what people will do in the future. And the other is the injunctive element, the normative element, uh, that uh, if I 
ask around, uh, people will tell me that they think that social distancing is the right thing to do. This is very important. It's even more important that I think that other people think that social distancing is the right thing to do. That's more important than if I think that social distancing is the right thing to do. Because uh, uh, if I don't think so, but still I think that others uh, uh, think that social distancing is important, uh, I'm likely to comply, or at least more likely to comply. So these two elements, uh, the descriptive uh, empirical element and the injunctive elements, are both uh, uh, present in uh, in social norms. And we have to keep that uh, uh, in mind if we try to engineer a, a new social norm of social distancing. Uh, how do we keep that in mind? Well, uh, we want to convey information about what people are doing. And we talked a bit of, uh, about this uh, last time. Uh, you don't want to convey information that uh, counters uh, the diffusion of the social norm. You don't want to show non-compliant behavior right? Uh, You want uh, uh, to give clear information about uh, uh, compliance to the social norms or people pledging to uh, comply with the social norm. So giving conflicting information, saying uh, this is uh, the right thing to do, but then showing people uh, shaking hands and giving hugs and uh, and kissing each other, that's wrong because uh, we tend to reason in a motivated way. And if I have uh, even a slight tendency to think that, uh, you know, social distancing is uh, crap, I will take uh, that conflicting information that you're giving me and base my actions on that and not on the good information about, uh, about compliance. So it's very important that messages be clear that there is no ambiguity in uh, uh, in the way information is presented and that uh, uh, we don't receive uh, uh, conflicting uh, information. Peer pressure. If I see my peers social distancing, even if I don't think it's something that's really, truly important, if I see that everybody else is doing it and they expect it of me, then I'm going to do it because otherwise I'll be judged for not doing it. However, if the media continues to show the people going rogue. They're giving fuel to those who think that uh, social distancing is not important uh, because, uh, you know, there's a, another psychological bias uh, called the confirmation bias uh, that says that uh, we will uh, look mostly or sometimes uniquely to information that uh, confirms uh, our hypothesis, our judgments, uh, our uh, conclusions, motivated reasoning. And so if I see information that tells me uh, people don't do social distances, uh, even if they are a minority, I will just assume that that's what people do and uh, I will stop social distancing myself. So, you know, don't give conflicting information. But another thing that is very important is that uh, norms uh, are always uh, relative uh, to social groups. And so uh, you want uh, uh, to give messages that are relevant uh, to the specific reference network that you are targeting. And uh, in uh, this particular case, uh, we might uh, have to cope with uh, a variety of, uh, uh, of social networks. There's, uh, I don't know, young people and older people. Uh, a message that works uh, uh, for people with children might not work for millennials because uh, they don't have children. One last thing about social norms, and then uh, 
Uh, I'll move on. It's important that messages uh, are not ambiguous, uh, that messages are not conflicting. Uh, moralizing messages also not so great because they sort of presume that there's a lack of, uh, of compliance. Also, it's important to reinforce uh, positive behavior. And the best way to reinforce positive behavior is often with social uh, recognition. So I'm not sure how to implement this in the case of social distancing, but uh, having uh, uh, reinforcement uh, of uh, positive behavior with uh, social recognition badges or, I don't know, things like that, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really relevant and maybe even more relevant uh, than sanctions uh, for non-compliant behavior, which might also be there. But it's important that uh, they be sanctions uh, that come from the grassroots, that come from uh, uh, your peers. Because uh, if they're... Uh, 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 sanctions that come from the police, from the drone flying uh, uh, above you, they might uh, be seen as too intrusive, as uh, uh, disproportionate, uh, as uh, illegitimate. But if they come from uh, your peers, uh, then there's uh, uh, it's more likely than uh, uh, that people will fear and accept them. So Edwin Orstrom did studies all over the world on common goods and uh, how to manage them. And uh, she found that uh, when there is a mix of both centralized uh, and uh, uh, social uh, norms or enforcement of uh, norms, uh, those are the places in which uh, uh, the, the norms are last uh, longer and are most uh, effective. So we can't really fully rely on uh, uh, state control only, also because of the constitutional issues and political issues that you mentioned uh, before. We want to be careful and wary of those because these are delicate uh, and, uh, and dangerous times from that point of view but also because uh, they just don't work if you rely only on, on that. You have to rely also on the people saying, you know, you shouldn't do that, or giving a stink eye to a person uh, who gets too close. That's oftentimes enough to make people understand that that's wrong, that uh, people don't like me when I do that, and so I won't do that uh, in, uh, in, in the future. Talking about politicians and uh, about... Uh, government action or choices, uh, I think it's uh, quite uh, interesting from a behavioral point of view. It's, uh, it's one possible uh, understanding of, uh, uh, of, what goes, uh, of what is going on uh, with uh, Donald Trump, for instance. So he's sort of inciting people to protest uh, against governors of states that uh, want to go slowly and to take it easy to phase two, that want to lift the lockdowns uh, with uh, uh, caution. Uh, he wants uh, them to protest and uh, he wants people to protest and uh, so that uh, uh, the economy will restart as soon as possible. And why is he doing this? So one possible understanding of this uh, comes from behavior economics. And behavior economics tells us uh, that uh, our attitudes towards uh, risk change uh, depending on the frame in which uh, we find ourselves. Let me give you an example. Let's say uh, you go to uh, the uh, racetrack uh, and you bet on horses. And at the beginning of the night, uh, your betting is uh, going to be quite conservative. 
all right? You are still in a winning frame of mind in which you think that uh, you're going to end uh, the night uh, with more money than uh, uh, you started with. And so uh, you only uh, bet on the best horses and you're cautious. Right? As time uh, goes by, uh, most people will be losing money. And at the end of the night, when people are down uh, a thousand bucks, well, that's when they take the long shots. They play the trifecta. They play these uh, uh, bets that are very unlikely to pay off. But if they pay off, they pay off handsomely, and you recoup all your losses, right? So at the beginning, people are risk averse because they think that they're going to win. At the end, most people are losing, and in a loss frame, they will be risk-seeking, and they will seek the big bets, the, the long shots that uh, will uh, uh, bring them back uh, in uh, in the green, right? So think uh, of this uh, in the current situation. We are clearly in a, in a loss frame, in a big loss frame, right? The economy is tanking. There's no economic activity. We've, we haven't seen anything like that in our lifetimes uh, and, uh, and more. So we're very risk-prone. We're very risk-seeking. And what are the options that we have? One is staying in lockdown. And staying in lockdown means uh, certain economic loss, right? Because uh, either uh, my business uh, is closed or if I'm an employee, I'm fired and I don't have a job. So clear uh, certain economic loss if we reopen you know there's going to be economic loss because uh, i have less business or maybe uh, i'll be fired and nevertheless because uh, my uh, employer is uh, cutting on personnel um but it's going to be of a lower extent and it's going to be uncertain maybe i will be fired maybe i will be not maybe my business uh, will uh, go down maybe i'll survive you know, it's uncertain uh, whereas in lockdown there's certain loss. There is uncertainty about the virus too. It's more likely that uh, I get the virus, right? Um, but uh, uh, it's not certain. Again, there's uncertainty about that. So lockdown is a certain loss. A reopening is uh, a uncertain uh, bigger loss if I, if I, get, uh, if I get sick, right? Um, and so in a loss frame, I will go for uncertainty. I will be risk-seeking and uh, I will prefer to gamble with the possibility of getting sick to counter the certainty of uh, going bankrupt. All right? um, and if uh, uh, President Trump has a good uh, political instinct, he might uh, uh, realize this uh, and by inciting people to... Uh, um, uh, reopen quickly, he is speaking to this risk-seeking uh, 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 feeling that uh, uh, behavior economists uh, say we do have in the loss frame. And this applies to him too. I mean, for him too, it's a choice between uh, facing uh, re-election in a lockdown situation in which uh, he is uh, leading a, a disaster economy uh, or facing re-election with the uncertainty of massive casualties uh, in, due to COVID-19, or maybe not. You know, so certain uh, economic downturn versus uh, uncertain C-19 uh, numbers. Um, if uh, you are in a loss frame, 
which he might be since, you know, uh, things have uh, changed so dramatically, he might want to go for the uncertain, risky uh, prospect. I want to clarify, you mentioned, you used the term before, if yeah. he is a, I don't know if you said smart politician or a good politician, um, but or either way. As good um, instincts about uh, how to interpret uh, yeah. people's motivations and people. Not necessarily a good person, yeah. no, no, but a good politician. Right. And I guess that also leads to the question, can someone be a good politician truly if they're not a good person? But that's for another. Sorry, I, I misspoke. <laughs> I, I meant uh, you know, has good political instincts. Yeah, no, I know. I didn't mean, I didn't think you misspoke. Um, it's one of those, I knew what you meant. I just wanted to make sure that the listeners knew. Yeah, 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 yeah. thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this is uh, really uh, the hallmark of a bad politician because he's pandering to uh, certain feelings or behaviors uh, that are likely to be detrimental to society and to the population. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's like uh, uh, you know giving heroin to a heroin addict. That's what uh, uh, he wants or she wants. Uh, but it's not what's good for uh, him or her, right? And so similarly here, maybe people are risk seeking, and maybe people do want to reopen quickly. So you give them what they want, but that's not what is good. What what's what's good for them? But it might good for you because they might vote for you. So it's really unconscionable. I sent you that message about a week ago when I discovered the term stochastic terrorism, okay. which is that's a whole other rabbit hole. I don't know if you yeah. feel like going down that one, um, so, um, but that's essentially what's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I, I, I think there's uh, both elements of uh, 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 trying to give people what they want, even if it's not uh, what uh, they need or what they should uh, be wanting uh, and uh, um, and also there is an element for uh, himself he wants uh, the economy to restart uh, he doesn't care about uh, uh, the cost in terms of lives uh, lost that uh, this might entail and uh, and so yeah he's uh, trying to make sure that uh, people act uh, on uh, on on the behalf of uh, his uh, uh, re-election agenda i i'm guessing an example would be the protests yeah just remember what i was saying before uh, we are risk seeking uh, when we are in a loss frame and uh, Put this together with what you you were saying before that uh, uh, the lockdown and the pandemic affects uh, uh, different strata of uh, society in different ways. And so, if I'm well off, uh, it's not a big loss after all. I spend more time with my family. I work from home. I still get my stipend. It's uh, uh, I, I spend less in restaurants and I have more fun uh, baking. In this sense, uh, uh, I'm not really in a loss frame, and so uh, I I don't have this risk-seeking tendency. But if I'm poor uh, and uh, I'm now unemployed and I don't have health benefits uh, and uh, I am at home uh, with uh, an abusive spouse and so on and so forth, uh, then I want out. And uh, uh, so it's uh, mainly... 
to poor people that uh, this kind of position is uh, appealing. And uh, it's extremely unfortunate because it's probably poor people who are going to be the first uh, or more likely victims of a hurried uh, uh, reopening. Yeah, so you have President Trump that is uh, trying to reopen very quickly and uh, it sounds like a very bad idea. Is it a bad idea? Uh, experts uh, say it is, but some other experts uh, say it isn't. Uh, uh, who is right? Well, I mean, we go back to what uh, we were saying at the beginning. There's a, a lot, a lot of uncertainty going on here for the fact that uh, it's a new uh, virus, uh, that epidemiology is a hard, hard, uh, d- difficult uh, science uh, that copes with uh, noisy data sets. And uh, so we have uh, a lot of uh, experts uh, that maybe are not uh, so experts, uh, uh, so expert uh, after all. Richard Epstein, right? He's a legal scholar, but uh, he claims that he's uh, an epidemiologist or that he has a, a training in epidemiology. It's not true. Uh, and uh, his uh, forecasts uh, show that, uh, you know, he definitely is not an epidemiologist. He's been uh, wrong by orders of magnitude. Uh, Jared Kushner is... Uh, uh, on behalf of the president, heading a, a task force, and uh, he has uh, uh, no expertise whatsoever. Right, so uh, you see lots of people claiming to be experts uh, who are who are not, uh, uh, and this is uh, not super surprising. That in the uh, Dunning Kruger effect, the famous Dunning Kruger effect, says uh, exactly that. You know, if you're not an expert. Uh, you are very likely to uh, not have those skills and that knowledge that uh, allows you to realize that you're not an expert. So if you're not an expert, paradoxically, you're more likely to believe that you are. And so you are likely to be overconfident in your judgments because you think you are the expert that you are not. And you see that a lot around you know, even uh, with uh, scant uh, uh, data and uh, uh, and, uh, and messy science that we have on uh, on this thing, we have to make decisions, of course. Um, but uh, uh, we should uh, uh, really be wary of trusting people who are too confident on uh, uh, on on matters related to COVID nineteen. Because uh, if you are too confident. Uh, that's probably indication that you are overconfident, right? We don't know many things. Like, uh, is the lockdown working or did the lockdown work since we're almost uh, out of it? Sure, the, the curve uh, flattened, uh, but look at Sweden, right? Uh, no lockdown and the curve uh, flattened a little, you know, less than uh, Norway or Finland, but uh, more than Belgium uh, or Italy. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, was it necessary? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's necessary in some places, maybe not in others. So it's really bad in Lombardy, but not in other parts of Italy. It's really bad in Wuhan. Uh, It's really bad in New York, but not in other parts of the United States. Why? We don't know. Uh, We don't really know. We know that infective diseases uh, are clumpy like this, but what explains this particular uh, clumpiness is is huge. 
clumpiness, well, we don't uh, uh, we don't know that. And so, will contact tracing work? Well, that depends very much on what's the source of the heterogeneity. So, will it? Maybe we hope so, but we don't know uh, for sure. One big uncertainty we have is uh, how many people have the virus. You know, we don't uh, we don't know about many many of the asymptomatic uh, uh, carriers of the of the virus, and uh, they might be a lot, uh, which would be extremely good news because it means that the virus is uh, less lethal than uh, than than we thought it is, uh, and that we're closer to herd immunity than than uh, we thought we uh, are. But uh, we don't know, um, and uh, and here you know there would be a lot to say about. Uh, um, uh, uh, the fact that we're not collecting enough data to answer this specific question about uh, the prevalence of the uh, of the virus uh, in uh, in the general population, and we could. It's uh, it's not super easy, but uh, you know, uh, we're not. Uh, I think uh, uh, making enough of an effort in uh, in that direction. So there is a lot uh, of uh, uncertainty, uh, and uh, and we have to be. Uh, aware of the fact that uh, we don't know uh, much, uh, but we know enough. And uh, even in this situation of radical uncertainty, of course, we have to make plans. Of course, we have to make uh, decisions. Of course, politicians have to enact uh, uh, programs and and uh, and plans. And uh, uh, the plans that uh, politicians. Uh, uh, propose uh, if they are good politicians uh, are likely to be based on some of the of the science, and so we should uh, stick to those, you know, and uh, and uh, make sure that uh, uh, we follow uh, the the rules uh, as uh, uh, as closely as possible. Uh, but uh, also, if I may uh, offer some. Uh, recommendations uh, make a plan for ourselves uh, when the lockdown is lifted uh, have a specific plan on uh, how to act uh, when we're out uh, how to act when we come back home and uh, uh, make sure to uh, uh, make a plan and stick to it uh, that uh, minimizes as much as possible chances uh, of uh, uh, of infection uh, promote good social norms uh, and sometimes, you know, a bad look is all it takes uh, to reinforce uh, social norm in uh, a fellow citizens or reinforce positive behavior is uh, all it takes uh, uh, for a social norm to spread. Uh, and finally, don't uh, trust people who are too confident in what they're in what they're saying. Uh, uh, do not uh, uh, trust people that. Uh, uh, think they have uh, all the answers because uh, they don't. Uh, because if uh, they are uh, good uh, uh, statisticians or good scientists or good people, they will admit that they don't have all the information and they cannot make uh, a sharp uh, uh, predictions. So we are a bit in the dark. But what we can do is try to collect data and have evidence-based uh, uh, policy as much as possible under the assumption that uh, there is a lot, a lot that, uh, that we don't know. And if somebody tells you otherwise, uh, don't trust them. 
Um, so I like what you said about coming up with a plan. I guess an example would be, you know, already start thinking about when we are allowed to leave the house. If someone invites you over to, for a dinner or a party, how are you going to decide what to do, what not to do? How are you going to communicate that with your friends and your loved ones? Because it's it's also really easy to worry what impression you're making on other people and if you're offending them. I still worry, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, I still worry that I'm offending my neighbors because they have invited me over for wine on a few occasions. And I finally just had to say, look, guys, um, I think we're just in a different level of paranoia. I'm I'm all in on the paranoia. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I just finally said to them, like, thank you, but I'm, I'm not comfortable having any interaction with anyone. And even then, I still feel like every time I walk by and I wave to them and they wave to me, there's in the pit of my stomach worry that I've somehow offended them. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know what? Shit happens. It's a pandemic. I can't yeah. worry about that right now. Well, but this you is, do anyway. So. But this is exactly the issue. Like Switching from uh, a social norm in which you want to be a good neighbor, right? And uh, accept invitations to uh, aperitivo or whatever. Uh, two social norms in which we have to do social distancing. And these two norms uh, are in contrast with one another, or at least uh, the norm of being a good neighbor has to be rethought and reinvented and uh, uh, remolded into something uh, different. And by the way, we could use uh, uh, some of the things that we have uh, learned uh, during, uh, uh, during the lockdown. You know, I don't think that we're going to go to a concert or to a play anytime soon. Uh, But maybe there's, you know, the app that allows you to watch Netflix together or something like that. I mean, think think about it. Uh, uh, Video calling has uh, been there for a, a long time. But nobody really used it, right? We texted, uh, uh, which is, you know, passing less information than talking on the phone rather than uh, uh, video calling. Giacomo, it has been a pleasure speaking to you. I could talk to you for hours. I still have so many questions for you. And I have a feeling we'll probably be doing another episode. It's uh, it's great to talk to you and it's great to, you know, let people know how things are here in Italy. I think it's very important to get also different perspectives from uh, around the world. So I think you're doing a, a great service uh, with uh, with your podcast. And thanks for having me and Teresa. Yeah, thank you. And uh, give her a big hug for me. Will do. So our behaviors are changing in a lost... Wow. (laughs) Our behaviors are changing. (laughs) Our behaviors are changing in a last-longing way. Long-lasting way? (laughs) (laughs) All right. You got it. (laughs) Long Last longing. (laughs) Shall I say it uh, one last time? All right, so our behaviors uh, uh, will be changing in a last longing way.